previously on the Sports Refuge podcast. They were brought up in the, in the you know, you work, and you provide, and that's it. It don't matter what goes on, you work and you provide no matter what. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. It's time for the Sports Refuge Podcast, the show where we talk with guests about their connection to sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. As we head into the NFL playoffs, there were a number of teams that were competitive into the final weeks of the regular season. This episode will feature some of the teams that just missed the cut in the American Football Conference. Of the teams left out in the cold in the AFC playoffs are the following teams represented by their fans. Lisa Burkhart gives her thoughts on a Denver Broncos squad that had finally seen consistency at quarterback with the addition of Teddy Bridgewater. Brandon Burns shares his insight on his beloved Miami Dolphins and how, after missing the postseason last year, had a chance to make the playoffs again following a very slow start. Mike Brittingham addresses the importance of the Baltimore Ravens' key factors, kicker Justin Tucker and quarterback Lamar Jackson, with the latter's absence at the end of the season dooming their postseason chances. Indianapolis Colts fan Spencer Tillis talks about the expectations they had with new quarterback Carson Wentz and how Jonathan Taylor's dynamic season put them in the right position to make a run for the postseason. And Los Angeles Chargers fan Greg Bassett talks about how first-year head coach Brandon Staley made significant strides in the AFC before a crippling slide ended their playoff hopes. Let's look at the AFC pretenders in this episode of the Sports Refuge Podcast. Here to talk with me about the Baltimore Ravens is longtime Ravens fan Mike Brittingham. He's been Mm. on the show before. Mike, I really am glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to do this. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. How did you become a fan of the Ravens and what drew them to you instantly? Uh, When I was younger, I was always a uh, Baltimore Orioles fan. So the minute that Baltimore ended up getting a football team, in my age range at that time, I became an instant fan from then on. Give me another hometown team to root for. Definitely. And when you heard the news that, like you said, you mentioned that, mm-hmm. but hearing that the Browns were coming to Baltimore, was it one of those things where you had to pinch yourself to think, is this real? Because mm-hmm. there have been so many times that Baltimore was said, oh, they're the favorite <laughs> to get an expansion team, then Carolina and Jacksonville get a team or yeah. somewhere else, or the Buccaneers end up staying mm-hmm. in Tampa Bay and things like that. Yeah, it was really neat. I remember um, hearing about it on the news, and my whole family was talking about it. It was really cool. Brought everybody together. Going back to your memories as Mm -hmm. a Ravens fan, two Super Bowls to count from, if it's Mm -hmm. even that, what is the most memorable moment as a Ravens fan? Um, Actually, I went to both Super Bowl parades, and I remember going to the very first one, and I thought it was like the coolest thing I ever watched. And I seen uh, Tony Saragusa on top of the hood of the car, uh, driving through downtown Baltimore, and I I was dying because that dude is huge. I thought that was really neat. <laughs> uh, how did that differ from the second parade? Because I know that had to be interesting. Yes, like years later, where it's like, okay, we're back on top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really cool. I got uh, closer in the second parade. Um, I actually reached out and almost got a high five from Ray Ray Rice. Uh, but didn't end up happening. <laughs> but uh, it was actually neat. It was it was fun. It was it was different, different area, different feel. Um, it was more, I guess, I, I don't want to say shocking that we won it that year, but it was definitely 
Like we knew it was, it was something special. It was, it was nice. Going into the season, what were the expectations for the Ravens? What did you feel like they could do? I know a disappointing playoff ouster against the mm. Bills. Nah, mm. uh, you know, 17 to three, the offense didn't show up, yeah. especially after a huge win against yeah. Tennessee and getting, getting that, uh, getting that burden off, off your back. Mm. Um, Going into the season, I had actually extremely high hopes. I thought we were clearly one of the AFC favorites. And then people just started to drop like flies uh, with, with injuries. And we end up having, I think it's like at least 15 on injury reserves done for the year. Um, and then we lost our whole running back core within like a week or two. And I thought at that point, I was like, oh, no, this, this might not be good. And it looks like so far they've been able to weather the storm. I know you lose mm-hmm. guys like Gus Edwards and you lose all those other guys. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, not even before the season started, it, it, they were already a mass unit. But to you, was there a particular moment that you felt, okay, regardless of the situation with the running backs, we're going to the playoffs. I think it, whenever you have Lamar Jackson as your quarterback, you know that you've got something unique. Um, for how many years to come, that's to be determined. But uh, I didn't – I don't know. I just don't worry. I don't know how to explain it. You, you kind of have a calm feeling when he's your quarterback and he's under center and, you know, everything seems to be working well. And, and you work as a, as a good unit. John Harbaugh's a great coach. Um, he catches a lot of flack, but I, I still think he's one of the best coaches in football. Which is even more amazing when you think about it. There's only been, to my knowledge, three coaches in Ravens mm-hmm. history. Ted Marchabroda, and then Brian Billick, right. and then John yeah, Harbaugh. Yeah, John Harbaugh, because I was trying mm-hmm. to think, was there an interim in between? No, it's just those mm-hmm. three, and and all those guys were long-term coaches. I mean, Marcia Broda's the shortest term, and that was maybe three years coming, you know, mm-hmm. the, from the inaugural year to Billick got hired. Right, right. Yeah, uh, it's it's been a nice, like, he's just a stable of, of Baltimore right now. And I feel like he makes the right decisions at the right time. I mean, we might not all agree, uh, but he it's the reason he gets paid what he does, and, and he's one of the best at it. Was there a particular point in the season you were worried about how Baltimore would fare, especially in some of the games of the season? Was the Cincinnati game uh, something that alarmed you? Was it was it any other particular game? Was it the, De- was it the Detroit game where it took the Tucker field goal? No, it was actually – it was the definitely the Cincinnati game where we got destroyed on both ends of the ball. And I it was just one of those things where I thought I was hoping the wheels didn't fall off. <laughs> Luckily it didn't so far, knock on wood. Uh but that was definitely the biggest game where I, I took a step back and was like, uh oh, this might not be good. Looking at the AFC playoffs, now seven mm-hmm. teams get in as opposed to the mm-hmm. six. That mm-hmm. means number one seat is the most important seat, not one and two. Right. But one, the the road to the mm-hmm. AFC Championship or through the Super Bowl runs mm-hmm. through whoever's number one. But mm-hmm. uh, looking at the playoffs, who, as a Ravens fan, do you feel like the Ravens match up the best with in the AFC? I'm against. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, if we have to play them again, I would like to play it. I know I don't want to play anybody, obviously, but I think we match up best against Indianapolis. And I know that sounds crazy with Jonathan Taylor as their running back. Um, but I feel like we can hold them to one-dimensional football uh, if we play them again, and I don't think the score will be as close as it was.
who in the AFC scares you? Is it Kansas City? Is it New England now that all of a sudden they've uh, found mm-hmm. life? Is it Tennessee even without Derrick Henry? Mm-hmm. Or, or or is it somebody else we haven't mentioned? Is it is it Cincinnati? Is it the Browns? Could it be Pittsburgh? Mm-hmm. Could it be someone mm-hmm. out of the West mm-hmm. that we haven't talked about, like the Raiders mm-hmm. or, or the Chargers? I tell you what worries me the most, and I know this is probably as as a football fan, you, you kind of get that feeling. Like last year we played Buffalo. I think Buffalo – uh, with all their weapons in the wide receiving core, kind of uh, scare us the most. But for me, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna pick anybody, it's gonna be New England right now because they are getting hot at the right time. It's interesting. I had always talked mm. with someone before, just talking about mm. you know you you look back at Belichick. Belichick basically, and some people won't uh, agree. Maybe some people may mm. might forget he set the foundation for two franchises when he was mm. in Cleveland before the move. He basically his draft board had Ray Lewis and Jonathan Ogden on there, mm-hmm. and and yeah. and and basically Ozzie Newsom is still here, and then all his sergeants mm-hmm. and everybody, Eric DaCosta, all those guys yeah. learned from Ozzie Newsom, who learned from from Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting enough that basically, when you look and you compare the Patriots and you compare Baltimore, that there are a lot of similarities how their their fundamentals mm-hmm. are foundation wise. Maybe uh, certain things that like how they mm-hmm. deal with personnel are different mm-hmm. and the whole mm-hmm. mentality, but it seems like they're like very cut from the same cloth. They are. And I think um, that's something to be said about Bill Belichick. There's something to be said about the Ravens, something to be said about um, New England. I think it's uh, I think Bill Belichick, I know he also gets a lot of flack, but I think he's probably one of the best coaches in football. Um, he just has that football mind that you want every coach to have. And he sees things that we don't see, you know, as, as regular people, or even as football people. Um, he's just excellent at what he does, and, and it's not a bad thing to mimic that, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and one more thing before we go to our prediction. Um, mm-hmm. Justin Tucker has really come up clutch several times this season. Mm-hmm. I know some people say – the day you don't have Tucker and Lamar Jackson, Baltimore's <laughs> in trouble. But I mean, I know it seems like everybody just say, "Oh, he's just a kicker," or he's oh, a special teams because that tends to get uh, overlooked a lot. But to you, how important has Justin Tucker been, especially consistency, where a lot of teams are constantly looking for a kicker and who's who's good, not only just week in and week out, but year in and year out. He is the backbone. Of the Ravens, I feel like Lamar is is the leader, and then you have the backbone, which is Justin Tucker. And I'm a Wink Martindale fan, so I think he is huge for the Ravens as well. But it is it is fantastic to have a, a leader like Lamar and a backbone like like uh, Tucker. And, and it's true the, the day that the Ravens go without one or both is it's, it's a sad day for sure. Do you think Tucker is Hall of Fame caliber? I know it's weird because kickers, mm. like I said, kickers and punters don't get the love that mm-hmm. that, that position players do. Not even a question. First ballot Hall of Famer. No question. As we start going to the prediction for the Super Bowl, who do you mm-hmm. have coming out of the AFC? Who do you have coming mm-hmm. out of the NFC? Who wins and what is the final score? Okay, I'm going with out of the AFC – I'm always going to say the Ravens. It's just going to be what I say. So I'm going to say the Ravens. 
I'm actually going to say the Green Bay Packers. I know that's a matchup coming up. They flex that time to like, what, 4.30, I think, uh, to make sure everybody can watch that next coming week. I think it's two weeks from now. I believe it's two weeks from now. Uh, I have Ravens out of the AFC, I have Green Bay out of the NFC, and I got 34 to 17, as bad as it sounds and as much as it hurts, Green Bay Packers. Oh, I thought you were going to make it a field goal game and Tucker hits the winner. <laughs> no. No, if I'm a betting man, uh, right now Aaron Rodgers has something to prove, and um, I think he's going to end up proving it. And I, and I hope I'm wrong. To be honest with you, I really want to be wrong. Um, but if I'm if I'm a betting man, I'm going to say Green Bay. Do you have any shout outs you want to give to to anybody who's watching or anything like that, or who will hear this episode mm-hmm. as it goes along? And do you have anything mm-hmm. you want to promote? How can people reach out to you and talk <laughs> Ravens football? Uh, and you can DM me anytime about uh, any kind of Ravens, any kind of questions like that. Um, I have nobody I want to really give a shout out to, but I like to give a shout out to just everybody. Tell them happy holidays. I uh, hope everybody's doing well and uh, keep on doing good. Here to talk about the Denver Broncos is longtime Broncos fan, Lisa Burkhart. Lisa, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I know that a good friend, Brandon Burns, has been able to connect yes. with so many fans of so many teams. He's been making it so much so easy to connect <laughs> with people, and I'm, I'm glad. I always have to give that shout-out to Brandon as well. And addition, thank you for being a part of it because without the fans, this is pretty much a fruitless endeavor. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, yeah, definitely. I really appreciate it. Normally, how we start these off, the first thing I'll ask is, how did you become a Denver Broncos fan? And then how did you end up sticking with them over the years? Because every team goes through its ups and downs with with rare exceptions, but be able to handle all the struggles that a team may have and in order to really reap the benefits of victories has to be amazing. The funny thing is I'm actually from Denver, Colorado, um, but I don't live there anymore. I live in Ohio. When I was in Denver, I was there for the back-to-back with John Elway, and I hated them. I hated everything about Denver Broncos. I didn't want to watch football, nothing. Then I moved to Ohio, and our PA Ohio line, so I'm, I'm actually in Steelers Nation right now, and I remember watching, the when I became a fan, was actually the Tim Tebow throw to Demarius Thomas in that playoff that ended up having the Broncos win. I loved watching the Steelers lose. And it just happened to be from the city I was from. And so that just made it like the, the best. And I was like, that's it. I like football. I love it. And I was all in Broncos. And I just felt like it was meant to be because that's where I'm from. So, and then Demarius Thomas ended up being my favorite player of all time too. And I know that's going to be one of the things that we're going to talk about, especially just his untimely passing as well. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that a little bit further down the road. What is your most memorable moment? Is it that same pass? Was it the Super Bowl win against the Panthers? or It was the Super Bowl win with the Panthers, with Peyton Manning. It was nice to have him come in. It was a rockly season that year. But luckily, we were able to pull it off. And to give him that before he um, retired was really great to see. And I know that solidified his... Uh, status too, winning two Super Bowls. And, you know, everybody remember his Super Bowl against the Bears with the Colts, but this one has probably cemented him to that iconic status, or at least put him up there with his brother. So, Yes. Going into the season, what were the expectations coming into the year? I know that quarterback had been an issue, and then being able to acquire Teddy Bridgewater to 
solve all those issues. The go merry-go-round was going on. It was everybody from Paxton Lynch to Trevor Simeon to uh, Brock Osweiler to Chad Kelly. And, and now finally it seems like there's stability with Teddy Bridgewater. But to you, what were the expectations going into the year? Going into the year, I knew that we would at least make the playoffs. I didn't think we'd make it much further than that. We do still have to work on our offensive line. I think out of all those, I think Teddy Bridgewater proved himself to be at least a good contender. And I was actually proud that he was the one that was chosen to be the starter for the season. Particularly, was there any optimism? I know now that he's really been a stable presence there, but what were your realistic expectations in the division as competitive with the Chargers, the Chiefs, and the Raiders at one point? Did you see the Broncos maybe finishing at 500 or even better than that? No. We always had a pretty strong division, and Casey used to seem to run it all the time. I never really thought much of the Chargers until this year. Um, I think they've proven themselves a lot this year, and so now that makes me feel like we're going down in in our division, which kind of sucks, but we're still pretty good, I think. Looking at the schedule, was there a particular game this year that made you feel optimistic about the Broncos' playoff chances? Not anyone in particular. I thought that we, at the beginning of the season, once we actually started playing some of the games, I was like, I don't think we're going to make it. I honestly do think that the last game that the Broncos played, the heart that they put into it for Demaryius Thomas, I think that might be the little push that they needed to give them the spirit again. And I think that's what's going to make them at least get to the playoffs still. Looking at the schedule as well as on the other side, was there a particular moment where you thought uh, these guys are not playoff bound? They're not going to be good enough to make it, especially in such a competitive division. Was it the loss against the Raiders? Was it the drubbing to Baltimore? Was it the loss to Steelers? Or maybe was it the loss to the Eagles that made you think eh, this team might not be all that good? Honestly, the doubt that I had with the season this year really wasn't a game that made me feel that they weren't. I honestly, the biggest part that made me doubt it was I felt that the office gave up on the team when they decided to trade Von Miller. The Broncos has always been a strong defensive team. And so I felt since he was the heart off the field as well, taking that from our defense in the middle of a season that we were still contenders in, I think I felt like it kind of crippled us more. So it really wasn't a game. It was more the stuff off the field. Particularly looking at the AFC playoffs, what is a team that you feel like the Broncos can beat in the AFC at making the playoffs that they have their number? Who do you think the Broncos really have a chance of uh, shaking up in the playoff bracket? I think that they're best of anybody who plays a uh, West Coast offense. And I do think that the Chargers do play that more than most of the other people. So I would say the Chargers would probably be the only team that they would actually stand a chance. But to be realistic, I don't think that they're going to make it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think that they're going to make it any further than that, even if they play the Chargers, who would probably be give the best uh, chances. Looking on the other side of that, Who's a team in the AFC playoff bracket that scares you? Is it Kansas City? Is it New England? Is it someone from the from the north? Is it Tennessee or something along those lines? That scares me, New England. They're amazing, even without Brady. <laughs> so, yeah, that'd probably be the one that I would fear the most. Two questions. First of all, seeing the job that Vic Fangio has done as head coach, I know early on the season there were concerns like, this guy is supposed to be a defensive guru 
and it didn't seem like he was getting it together. I know he's in a, I believe, second or third year as, as head coach. So it's always uh, a question about, is this guy really a legit coach or is he just one of those guys that got lucky with some defense or offense and was able to coast to a, a nice cushy job application? Um, I'm not really a big fan of him, <laughs> but I think he's, he's getting us by. I don't think he's going to stay long with us, but as of right now, he's getting part of the job done. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see Gary Kubak come back. That's who I'd, I'd want to come back, honestly. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's going to happen ever. And one thing that we will want to mention, of course, the untimely passing of Demarius Thomas was a mm-hmm. staple uh, on the team for years. I know that the biggest thing is seeing that how those guys rallied around him, even though he was no longer playing and it's a fallen comrade and that everybody's still impacted by his loss. It's very I'd say comparison to what happened with Washington and Sean Taylor and everything that occurred there and that being a different situation, but everybody seemed to get galvanized. But do you feel, and and I know it seems a little morbid asking this question, but do you feel something like that will get them in the mindset, especially as they finish up this run against a tough string of opponents, including Cincinnati, the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Chiefs? Yes. After the last game that they played, um, I watched the post game conference and you can see it in a lot of their eyes. It's like they got a wake up call because he did pass at so such a young age that they want to push harder. And I think it's for him that they're doing it. And so I honestly think that 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 was the push that they needed to get them to where they need to go. And another thing I want to ask is, did you expect this division to be so competitive, especially at one point? There were uh, maybe two weeks ago, there was a point where everybody was in with an eyelash of a game of Kansas City. And and now it's still pretty close, even though Kansas City's slowly starting to pull away. But did you expect the AFC West to be that competitive? No, not at all. Not at all. I actually, the funny thing is, is I thought Kansas City wasn't going to do as well as they were doing. They usually run our division, but I thought that they were actually going not to not to do as good as they are doing. So I'm really impressed that they still are doing that. I know everybody says because of McCombs, but um, I just I just didn't think that they had it in them anymore. And so that's why I uh, I thought that we would be in a better position than we are now in the playoffs. But um, they're all amazing. And I think we're probably one of the strongest divisions there is out there for sure the Chargers and their rise and the Raiders and their epic cratering back to earth after everything that occurred. <laughs> it definitely seemed like it benefited the Broncos. Yes. Mm-hmm. As we start to wrap things up, what is your Super Bowl prediction? Who do you have coming out of the AFC? Who do you have coming out of the NFC? Who wins the Super Bowl? And what is the final score? I know everybody wants to see the Brady Bowl. That's the last thing I want to see, honestly. So I'm going with, I'm hoping, the Green Bay Packers and the Chargers. And I think the Green Bay Packers are going to win. That's what I'm hoping. And then after that, Aaron Rodgers can come to Denver. (laughs) I know his name was bandied about in the offseason as well. What's the final score do you have for that Super Bowl? I'm going to say 27 to 19, uh, Green Bay. Definitely. That might be the, the biggest margin of victory I've seen in a, among all the people who have been talk. Everybody's been saying it's a field goal game. Nothing more than the field goal is going to come down to a late kick. I don't I don't know. They're they're pretty good. And Aaron Rodgers, he's so unpredictable. Like they think like if he goes in hurt, like he's been hurt, he's still putting up the numbers. Like 
to me, I honestly think a lot of people make fun of me. I honestly think he's the best quarterback there is. I put him above Brady because I've never seen a person throw a Hail Mary like he does over and over again. Like, I just, I don't know. There's something about him that I just think he is honestly the best out there. And so you can never predict or think that he can't do something. And as we start to wrap up, do you have any shout outs you want to give to anybody? Is there anything that you have that you want to promote as well? And how can people reach out to you on social media about the Broncos? Um, Okay, so I want to give a shout out to Broncos Nation. You know, they all know who they are, the one that holds out. They don't give up even through the hard seasons. They're great to be around. I love them. I've never been up to out of place where I have not made tons of friends. So shout out to them. Shout out to my boyfriend, Mike, even though he's a Cincinnati Bengals fan. He watches every game with me. He likes to critique me and irritate me sometimes. But also I can be reached at um, my Facebook. It's facebook.com. And the link is Lisa Marie with three E's, 85. Here with me to talk about the Indianapolis Colts and their season is longtime Indianapolis Colts fan, Spencer Tillis. Of course, you guys have seen him on previous podcasts, the episode called The Spencer System that came out. But Spencer, really glad to have you here talking about the Colts. I know it's a little tough, especially a few days after the aftermath of the season, but I'm glad to have you here to at least get insight on what you thought the expectations were for this season. I appreciate it. Earl. I guess, you know, the phase of recovery begins with talking our way through it. So let's just go ahead and get on the therapist's little couch right now and talk about the painful season that was man it really really definitely was uh, they say acceptance is the final key to grief it seems like you're already there a couple of days later you know i don't know what else to do it was i had hit a point watching carson wentz all season and i was expecting at some point like i actually even went into the game being like how could we possibly blow this like tongue-in-cheek like we have a 14 and a half point favorites we're playing a team that's terrible they don't even have a head coach like there's no way we can lose. Their own fans are calling it Clown Town and protesting the game. And that is the team that just beat the brakes off of us and into this poetic, painful run that is Carson Wentz and a guy that we're stuck at the hip with here for a couple of years now. I laugh to not cry pretty much right now watching what happened to this team. And I know that's a lot of stuff we're going to unpack in this discussion. But as we started to get into it, how did you become an Indianapolis Colts fan? I know you grew up in California, and that had to be interesting being a Colts fan in California. Yeah, you wouldn't expect it because I was way over there. But I started as a college football fan, and it was very casual. I just kind of would watch whatever game was on. And Peyton Manning was my favorite college football player. I used to just love watching him when he was with the balls. And at a certain point, I was just like, wherever he goes, I'm going to be a fan of that team. And so then, obviously, he ends up in Indy, and I started watching him there and kind of just became a fan through that. And then there was a real weird turning point where my first reporting job was in Colorado, and I got there, and then two days later is when he actually signed with the Broncos, and I had this, like, come-to-God moment of, like, does this now make me a Broncos fan? Do I jump ship and and switch things over to Bronco country? And Eventually, I decided that like I wanted to see him do well over there, but I was going to stay the Colts. Like I'd rather have commitment to one squad than kind of jump around as, as players like switch around, and especially in this era of sports where it feels like free agency is like the player empowerment is is more than ever, where they're jumping around all over the place. And I decided better just stick with him there, you know, stick with my team. 
What is your biggest Colts moment? Is it the Super Bowl win against the Bears? Is it the selection of Andrew Luck? Is it something else that we haven't even broached on that they think is probably bigger than those at all? You know, first of all, the losses I remember more than the wins. Like losing to the Saints in the Super Bowl hurt way more than beating the Bears in the Super Bowl. Like I remember that way more. The Bears, I wasn't even having any kind of concern about. I, I never thought we were going to lose to them, honestly, going in. It just, they were solid on defense, but like, what are you going to do against Peyton Manning? And they had no offense. We were ticket at that point. The one win that I think stands out above the most is when we finally beat the Patriots in the AFC Championship. And I remember the Patriots were driving, and it felt like one of those situations again where Tom Brady was just going to rip our heart out. And then we finally got an interception at about like the 45, 40 yard line that iced the game. And it was euphoric. It was an unbelievable moment where it felt like finally we had slayed Goliath and a guy that has just, he always had our number. Like I wanted to call it a rivalry, but it's not a rivalry if you don't beat him. Like, and we never seemed to beat the Patriots and then finally getting him in the playoffs. And then obviously the next game we got to play the Bears, but like beating Tom Brady, and even though it was only AFC Championship, was so much more uh, rewarding almost than beating the Bears in the Super Bowl. Like it's just the fact that we beat him in the playoffs, a guy that had destroyed our hearts so many times. That one I think was the the best feeling win I've ever uh, had as a fan. Going into the season. Uh, what were the expectations? I know the acquisition of Carson Wentz solidified a quarterback uh, position that has gone to several different starters over the past few years. Philip Rivers, Jacoby Brissett, Andrew Luck, all those guys. What were the expectations for the Colts, especially competing in the South where, you know, you always have to look up at Tennessee? We got to double digit wins with Philip Rivers and my guy can't, he runs like he's got a refrigerator on his back. He cannot move, and he can't push the ball further than 10 yards down the field. And we got the double-digit wins with him. And so Carson Wentz should be an upgrade. There's no reason we shouldn't have gotten to 10, 11 wins going into the season. I still thought going in with King Henry was still healthy going into the season. I didn't think we could probably beat the Titans for the division title, I thought they'd end up with about 12, maybe 13 wins. But I didn't think it was outside the realm of possibility. I thought we should get to 11 wins probably at least. And with that, you should get a wild card. And I I thought we would be probably one of the most dangerous wild card teams and have a legitimate shot of winning that first round playoff game and then kind of rolling the dice from there. So for me, we were making it to the second week of playoffs. That was the floor. And then if things go your way, you see what happens. I mean, you see upsets and you see guys that can go on runs all the time in the playoffs and who knows, but having the running game that we had, having that young, incredible defense that we had and being solid on special teams. I mean, you check all the boxes. We had the most Pro Bowl players of any team in the league and we didn't even make the playoffs. Like it is, if that's not the most damning thing that you can say about a quarterback, I don't know what's left. Like that is unbelievable that a roster that is as talented as they are doesn't get to a point where you get in the playoffs when they add an extra playoff team this year on top of everything else. Was there a particular moment on the schedule, a particular game that made you feel like, okay, this team is prime for the playoffs 
Was it the win against the Bills, the demolition of the Bills? Was it beating the Niners uh, the way they did in, in grand fashion? Or, or even beating the Patriots on December 18th? I really honestly think it was the Patriots because like, at that point, we were – honestly, even if you want to take it a step further – when we beat the Cardinals, when our roster was just dealing with COVID and we were extremely shorthanded, granted, I mean, the Cardinals hadn't been playing as well, but they still had Kyler Murray. They still had a lot of their studs. And we went into that game with shambles of a roster and still somehow pulled out that win. At that point, like, I was like, all right, like, we just went through the hardest part of our schedule. All we got left, like, really on the uh, schedule is the Raiders and the Jaguars, a JV team. Like, there's no way at this point we're not going to get in. We are in control of our own destiny. And we had just seemed to be ticking on all cylinders. And the last month, Jonathan Taylor had been unstoppable. And it was like, all right, like, we found the recipe. Like, we're doing what we need to do. And the team has really turned the corner. So at that point, like, I'm glad I'm not a full-blown betting man because, or like someone had bet me anything because I would have bet everything I own that we were making the playoffs at that point and that we had a good stretch. You probably, old, old takes exposed, could probably go through my Twitter street. I, I probably had something about us winning the Super Bowl at that point because it felt like we were the team that was the most dangerous in the NFL. Not anymore. Not anymore. Of the games that you lost to the season – which one was the most damning one? Was it the Jacksonville game or was it the Raiders game, seeing especially they got that spot over the Colts? Or was it something else earlier in the schedule that makes you scratch your head and think, how did we lose to this team? There was a lot of low moments because every close game, you end up relying on Carson Wentz, who's about as reliable as a table that's got three legs. And it was just tough to watch. That Jaguars loss. I've been a sports fan my entire life. That might be the worst regular season loss I have ever seen. And you could argue it, it might be even worse than some of the playoff losses or postseason for other sports. Everything stacked up that we should have just ran them off the field. And they had more sacks in that game than they had in any other game of the season. They scored more points in that game than any game they did the rest of the season. That was the biggest spread switch that they've had in any game this season. Like, there were so many things that you look at where we made them look like the Monstars, and it was like that first scrimmage against them in, in Space Jam where all of a sudden they were just, like, dunking on us at every single play, and it was a train wreck. It was an absolute train wreck from the very beginning, and you could just see it coming. They scored a touchdown on their opening drive, and it was like, oh, my God, like, we're not really going to do this, right? There's no way. And it was just in slow motion, and you couldn't see any way to stop it. And just, it was so painful. Like, it was so painful to watch. And then I have, like, the worst set of friends I've probably of anybody because I had to basically turn off my phone after everybody thought it'd be really funny to check in on me and see how I was doing in that moment. And it wasn't funny, and it wasn't fun, but, like, what are you going to do? Yeah, that was by far... Not just this season, that was the worst regular season loss of me as a fandom I've ever had because that was just brutal, absolutely brutal. Uh, looking at what could have been in the AFC playoff bracket, if the Colts had made the playoffs, who would you have felt would have been a favorable matchup in the AFC? 
I felt pretty confident against everybody. Like the team that I feel like we matched up probably worse against was the Titans, but you're not going to play them uh, in the division straight off like that. I think we matched up well with the Chiefs. We could have ran the ball and played defense and kind of kept Pat Mahomes off the uh, field a little bit. If there was anybody, honestly, that I feel like would have been kind of dangerous, I wouldn't have really wanted to play the Patriots right off the back. I, I don't like going up against Bill Belichick in the playoffs right off the back, and I feel like they would have been able to keep it close. And in a close game, I'd have to rely on the one man that I have no faith in, in Carson Wentz. And basically, we would have our team. They would have their team, as well as the addition of playing with against Carson Wentz. And I don't really like that matchup at all. The Bills are so up and down that I feel like they could have, obviously, when they're clicking, they're one of the toughest outs that there is. Uh, but we've played them well before. And so... I would say probably of anyone, the Titans would have been a pretty tough matchup just because they they do a lot of what we do. They just do it a little bit better. And then you never no one really ever wants to see Bill Belichick in the playoffs. Like no one you may say you do, but it's kind of outside, I guess now Georgia this year. I was like, no one really wants to see Nick Saban. No one really wants to see Bill Belichick. You can say it, but there's a reason that they're at top of the mountain, like as often as they are. Going to Carson Wentz, do you feel like there's a little bit of buyer's remorse right now after the acquisition, the picks that were given up, and seeing that that's a heavy investment in a quarterback that you're hoping will lead you behind center for several years, especially given the, the sporadic nature and change of who's been playing quarterback for the past four years? Your thoughts on Carson Wentz and the acquisition and really how he performed this year? Buyer's remorse is the wrong term because that like goes in with the thought that maybe you won the buy. It was more like we were hamstrung and had to make a deal and we lost out on everybody we wanted and he was all that was left and they were able to just gouge us. When the trade happened, I was livid. Like I was like, this is a horrible deal for us. But the thing is, it literally stems all the way back to when Andrew Luck retired. We were built on a timeline to win in the next few years. And then when your franchise quarterback retires, your entire timeline gets shot. Like, we had so much talent. As again, like, we had eight Pro Bowlers. We have the most in the NFL. Our roster is stacked, and you're trying to win right now because so many other positions, like, you age out so quickly that we needed just a plug-in guy to try and go. And we tried it with Rivers, and it was okay. And then when he leaves... And so we were trying to just find a guy that lightning in the bottle because the rest of the, the roster was so set. That being said, that trade's going to set us back for years, like years. We lose a first-round draft pick because he played for over 75% of the snaps. So not only did we miss out on the playoffs, but now we lose a first-round draft pick, so we're not going to be able to get a quarterback next year. We can't cut him because if we cut him, it goes $15.5 million against the cap next year. So he has to play at least next year as well. So not only did we throw away this season, we threw away next season, potentially, unless he somehow discovers how to play football again, which I'm not betting on. And then if that doesn't work out, we're still not getting a a quarterback in the first round this year. We don't have any other quarterback really on the roster other than the kid from Texas who I'm not wildly thrilled about. I mean, the fact that you can't beat out right now and Wentz and kind of get the job or like even when we were in the situation where Wentz was dealing with COVID, we didn't know what we were going to do. We had made a call to Phillip Rivers. 86-year-old Phillip Rivers we were trying to pull off off the couch to come save us. So clearly we don't have much faith in our backup right now. So where does it come then? So I guess you you after next season do you go into the draft and then try and find a quarterback? By that time, 
So many of the rookie deals are going to be up on the guys that are young studs on us. So many of the, the guys are going to start to age out. And your entire timeline, again, about when you think you can win is thrown off. So unless we can bamboozle somebody to, to give a trade and get rid of Wentz and maybe we can go get Russell Wilson on somebody, there's no other real set out there or another path for us other than to just be like, well, Lord, it's in your hands. And that doesn't really give you much faith as a fan, but like, I mean, do you celebrate just making the playoffs as a ceiling? Like, I would think a franchise that has been to the Super Bowl and has won, like, our expectations, our standards are higher than that. But Ballard's hands were tied. You got nothing. When Andrew Luck retires, when your franchise quarterback out of nowhere just retires, everything gets thrown out of whack. And because, I mean, that's the starting piece. If you lose your foundation, you end up with this. You end up signing a Phillip Rivers. You end up trying to find somebody to just help you get through and try and find that like Nick Foles situations, like what he did with the Eagles, where it's like, all right, maybe if we can find one guy that can have a good stretch, like we can win this, but what are you going to do? And the other thing I want to ask you, Jonathan Taylor had one of the most eye-popping seasons that I saw. It's like you couldn't get away from it. He was sort of out of this world, or I guess unearthly is the best term to use for that, but how can you describe this season, especially second year getting acclimated to the league? Already had almost 1,200 yards last year, 1,811 yards, 18 touchdowns, and all 17 games. What what can you say about that? I mean, he had over 2,000 scrimmage yards this year. Like, he had that before their last game, too. So, in a regular season, like, if you were to say, like, even without the extra game, he put up incredible numbers and was a legitimate MVP candidate. I still think like King Henry's probably the best running back in the league, but at this point, I don't think you can argue anyone legitimately is better than him other than that. Christian McCaffrey seems to be banged up too often. Dalvin Cook seems to be banged up too often. Like if you look at anywhere else, who's the second best running back if it is not him? Like he's got to be the second best running back in the league. And he came, I thought, out of nowhere because traditionally I don't trust Wisconsin running backs because they always have the biggest offensive line. They play in the weak division, and they always rack up a bunch of yards and touchdowns, and they look great on numbers, but like they hardly ever seemingly pan out in the league. I wasn't fond of the pick, to be honest with you, because we still had Marlon Mack, who rushed for 1,000 yards his rookie year, and we still had Hines, and I was like, all right, like we already have like a one-two punch at running back. He's not even going to be able to probably get carries. It's why I'm not the GM. It's why Ballard is the GM. And it's why he's one of the best GMs like you could probably find. Because he his rookie year was, you know, he, he burst on the scene, like really kind of took over that lead spot. And you kind of you made Hines into a, a scat back kind of person. And then this year, he took it to another level. Like there was so many games that were in the mix, and he just absolutely just showed you the power in the hole. He showed you the explosion to get in the outside. He did everything, and he for a guy his size to be able to run and see the holes and still have his speed is incredible. I mean, he is by far, I think, the best running back that we've had probably since Edron James, and he's a little bit obviously different than Edron James. Edron James is more of a do-it-all scat back, but like he is the best running back we've probably had in the last like 20 years, and if you take away King Henry, he's the best running back in the league right now. One last question I asked before we go to the Super Bowl preview. How far do you think the Colts could have went on the legs uh, of Jonathan Taylor? All right. So you got two all pros and you got the best 
best offensive tackle in the entire league. You got Jonathan Taylor, and you got wideouts that kind of shifted from being down the field like it was during like the Peyton era to like more guys that can kind of like block and kind of do it. The run game was spectacular. The defense was great as well. I mean, we have a guy, the Darius Leonard, that you know was considered for the defensive player of the year. So if you just lean on the defense, you do ball control and you let Jonathan Taylor run. I mean, we I think there's absolutely no doubt we could have easily won the first game, you know, on the wild card on the road. At that point, it turns into a little bit of a coin flip. Do we make the AFC championship? I, I would not be surprised at all if we made it that far. And then it turns into what do you get out of Carson Wentz? If he can give you a little bit, I don't think it would have been outside of the realm of possibility for us to make the Super Bowl this year. Like, I really honestly think everything was there if we just got some sort of steady play out of the quarterback. We could have made that type of run and been something really special because he's just incredibly good that he can carry a team. Like, you just need a quarterback that doesn't make mistakes and occasionally makes some timely throws. And you could literally let Jonathan Taylor carry the ball, carry that franchise all the way to the Super Bowl. Looking at the Super Bowl prediction, who do you have coming out of the AFC? Who do you have coming out of the NFC? Who wins the Super Bowl? What's the final score? All right. It's so much about who's playing well and who is healthy at this point in the season. I really still feel like, Green Bay is probably the team that's playing the best, and I feel like they're going to get the better this time around of Tom Brady to make it to the Super Bowl. Until somebody in that conference can tell me different, I still think Pat Mahomes still runs it. So if you're saying Packers and Chiefs, and I think in a weird way, Aaron Rodgers is about to win the Super Bowl again. And once that happens, who knows what's going to happen up in Green Bay if he somehow, after this tumultuous season that he's had and with the upper management and everything else like what do you do in that situation but I think I'm gonna go Packers and I will go 33-27 when you get to that point with uh, how balanced so many of these teams are it's really hard to see blowouts happen a lot of times I mean there, there's a couple that have happened in the past I mean the Seahawks just when they blew out the Broncos like every now and then you get ones like that but it feels like lately there's been a little bit more parity across the league, and then it comes down to who's got a guy under center that can go down and make a couple plays and kind of lead you to that one score that makes the difference. And Aaron Rodgers is that dude. Like, as much as a lot of people don't like him, I saw a stat the other day that said he had had something like 135 touchdowns and 16 interceptions over the past four years. Like, averaging, like, 30 touchdowns to four picks per year, which is incredible, like incredible. And that's got to be crazy. And I know we're all going to be looking with bated breath to see who makes it out. Maybe we get some type of weird uh, upset and we get teams that you least expect. Maybe we might get the Cowboys or maybe the, the weird thing, the Raiders, just by finding a way to stay alive, they might all of a sudden just parlay themselves. You know, so many different stories, but we'll leave that to the Ozmakers in the NFL and rigging that. But you never know. Spencer, I really appreciate you being here and doing this for the podcast. Do you have anything you want to promote? Any shout outs? What are ways people can talk to you? Not only about the Indianapolis Colts, but sports in general. Yeah, anyone that wants to talk sports can always get at me on Twitter. It's just Spencer underscore Tillis. I'm on there all the time, kind of part of the business, and I love talking, you know, whether it's about the Colts, the Lakers, or just sports in general. So anyone that wants to connect definitely can reach me on there. 
here with me to talk about the Los Angeles Chargers, which is so tough to say because I'm so used to saying San Diego Superchargers, is longtime Chargers fan and, and my former boss at the Daily Times in Salisbury, Maryland, Greg Bassett. Greg, how are you doing? Earl, it's an honor. I'm such a fan of your work and your talent and your absolute brilliance, your knowledge of sports. So, Greg, first thing I wanted to ask you is, how did you become a fan of the Chargers, especially living in Maryland, and what was the draw to them? Well, Earl, it's kind of a sordid story. I was uh, 11, turning 12 years old. I was with my father at Memorial Stadium. Uh, it was the fourth game of the uh, 1972 season. Uh, I think the Colts were one and two going to the game. Um, Chargers came into Baltimore, and the Colts were just killing the Chargers. Um, and I started to feel sorry for them, so I would root for the Chargers because I felt sorry for them. And people around us and my father were pretty angry that I was rooting for the Chargers. And then the Chargers mounted a comeback. Uh, the Colts actually fumbled the ball twice in the last four minutes. Chargers kicked two field goals uh, from the fumbles. And, and won that game, um, and the score of that game was 23-20. to 20. It was 49 years ago. I remember every minute of it. And it's funny, that game comes on uh, like the uh, NFL football follies uh, fairly often because the Chargers running back was a guy named Sid Edwards. And early in the game, he broke off a run for about 20 yards. And the defensive lineman, Fred Miller, big Fred Miller for the Colts, um, ripped off Sid Edwards' shoe. And then Rick Volk, who was a linebacker, who was one of my favorite players, he threw the shoe across the field. And then uh, Sid Edwards had to go retrieve his shoe. So they show that a lot on the football follies. So that game uh, is sort of been memorialized in NFL history. Uh, going back to your memories, what is the biggest moment as a Chargers fan? Was it the 94 Super Bowl or at least winning the AFC championship going into that? Or was there some other moment? I, I know you've had so many people to choose from, especially going from Stan Humphreys to Dan Fouts to, uh, of course, Drew Brees for that short moment to to everything that's been going on up to this moment and, and Philip Rivers as well. Well, let me add real quick, um, that January after I was at that game, my hero, Johnny Unitas, was traded to the San Diego Chargers in January of 73 when they dismantled the Colts. So that allowed me to truly be uh, a Chargers fan uh, without any kind of craziness involved. I, I was entitled to make that switch with Johnny Unitas, so that's how I, that's how I became a fan. Um, no, uh, the Steve Young Super Bowl, I'm still in therapy from that, from the 95-96 Super Bowl. This year my son was born. That was one good thing that happened. But beating Pittsburgh and getting into that Super Bowl was was really, really exciting. Uh, but that, of course, was the Steve Young Super Bowl. There were, you know, again, an NFL historic moment where he's on the sideline. He finally got the monkey off his back by throwing four touchdown passes in that game. And it was kind of a route. Um, so, yeah, I'm in therapy from that. I try not to talk about it much, Earl, because I will start to have some some spasms. <laughs> so I know you try to black that one out. Uh, what, what do you say is a big spot? I know there's plenty of, like I said, plenty of names, LaDainian Tomlinson, the late Vincent Jackson, all, all those guys, Antonio Gates. I, I just think of this, the, the array of the last run with, with Marty Schottenheimer and, and Norv Turner as well. Yeah, we've been so close uh, so many times to getting there. I guess the last time was in 2007, 2008, when we beat the Colts to go to the AFC Championship in New England against New England. Uh, both Rivers and Tomlinson were hurt, and we lost that game. But just so many great games. Of course, the Chargers were in the, the Epic in Miami, which I still think is the greatest football game of all time. That was the one where you know Tony Nathan did the hook and ladder. Uh, they show that all the time in the highlights. 
That was a 41 to 38 overtime game um, where they had to carry Kellen Winslow off the field. That was a great game. But that 2007 game in Indianapolis where someone finally beat Peyton Manning, we were the first team to beat Peyton Manning when he was at his absolute, they were defending Super Bowl champions when he was at the peak of his stardom in a 28 to 24 game where Darren Sproles just ran all over the Colts. Just an amazing game. So we've had lots of fun games uh, to be a part of, a lot of painful memories, a lot of great memories, but the Chargers have always been snake bit. They've always been, you know, just yesterday watching them beat the Giants so handily, it was the first game that I can remember in years and years and years where I just sat there completely relaxed because I knew no matter what they were going to win. Going into the season, 7-9 season, Anthony Lynn was ousted as coach, and now Brandon Staley brought in. What were the expectations that you had for the Chargers going into the year? Well, we can see that, that Justin Herbert definitely had some potential uh, just from last year being the rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year as he was. Did not know what this coach was going to be. I, I, you know, Brandon Staley, defensive coach, uh, the Lombardi, Joe Lombardi, the grandson of uh, the great Vince Lombardi is the offensive coordinator. Didn't really know what would happen. And, and you're in a division with Kansas City. So Kansas City is always going to be the cream of the crop. The Raiders certainly have been coming up. Denver, you never know what you're going to get from Denver. So we just thought maybe we could get to, you know, nine and eight, 10 and seven, get a wild card sniff. Uh, but then the Chargers started off the season four and one until they went to Baltimore and ate a, laid, a, laid an egg there. Um, and now it seems whether well, they're seated fifth in the playoff race uh, right now, they play a huge game on Thursday against Kansas City that will determine uh, probably the winner of the AFC West. So uh, I, I don't have any doubt that they're going to be in the playoffs. Uh, But as the year started, there was a lot of hope, but you really didn't know that it would happen for sure. Was there a point in the season that you were definitely confident that the Chargers were getting into the playoffs? Was there a particular game? That 4-1 start, um, when they came back and beat the Raiders, when they beat Kansas City in Kansas City, you you thought, okay, these guys can really compete. The game against Cincinnati, which was another 40-burger that we laid on Cleveland, the 40-burger was a, like, what, 46-42 to game you could see the explosive firepower that they had. So I knew they were going to head for the playoffs. And then the awfulness in Baltimore happened. They got killed by New England, which was a terrible game. They lost a really bad game in Minnesota and classic Chargers style. But they've bounced back. They've been playing well lately. They've actually won two in a row today. And they beat Cincinnati, which Cincinnati, when I watched Cincinnati play Baltimore earlier this year, Cincinnati looked invincible. Uh, now, they've certainly fallen on some hard times. They're kind of like the Chargers. They actually have the same record as the Chargers, but they're they're both good and they're bad. <laughs> was there a point that you were worried about them making the playoffs? Was it the loss to Baltimore? Was it the loss to Denver? Was it, was it the New England loss? I mean, were any of those things? Were there something else that made you sort of take pause about their chances for the postseason? Well, it, up until the New England game, New England had been played really bad, you know, and then they they really seemed to get their act together against the Chargers, as so many teams did. Uh, the Baltimore game was just a humiliation, but it was weird just sitting there. I was at the game and watching the uh, practice in the beginning when you know, before the game started, just watching them run around the field. You could tell they were like, they just were not into it. And you, you don't want to use that excuse of a one o'clock start for a West Coast team. It's 10 o'clock in the morning for them. Their clocks aren't adjusted. But they just they, they just looked so flat, so terrible in that game. Denver, again, like you mentioned, was an embarrassing game. I've tried to block that one out. That was one. But the Chargers never played well in Denver at Mile High Stadium or whatever they call it now. The test will be with Kansas City, how well they play 
in Kansas City. They have to go to Las Vegas one more time. Uh, that team seems to be in free fall. They get the Broncos one more time, and then they get, which you would hope would be an easy game against uh, Houston. Uh, so they've got some interesting games. Some, certainly three of the four remaining games are division games. I don't have any doubt about them getting in. Looking at the AFC playoffs, who do you feel the Chargers match up the best with in the AFC? Yeah, you know, if Cincinnati makes it or Cleveland, they've already beaten them. Baltimore, uh, you know, again, what team is Baltimore? We don't know what team they are. They're good at bad. Cincinnati, we don't know what team they are. I know you're going to ask me which one I fear the most. New England. I, I, I really fear them just because they, they are coached so well and they just manage everything so well. I would, I would really like to play them. I'd love to beat New England. That, that would just be so much fun to beat New England. But, you know, it, it's the playoffs. In the playoffs, anything can happen. Uh, and I'm not sure they really match up really that well against anybody. Looking at the AFC West, seeing that the Chiefs have come back a little to the division and then seeing it, it was so competitive, you know, before the Raiders had their free fall, the, the Broncos are surging, uh, especially coming off an emotional win. And, and the Chargers are doing well as well. They've already nearly surpassed their win total or have surpassed their win total from, from last season already. Did you expect that division to be as competitive? It's a question I ask anybody who is a fan of a team in the, in the AFC North because they're seeing the same thing going on as well. Everybody's vying for a division spot or everybody's vying for a playoff spot. But did you see the yeah. West be that competitive? Yeah, as someone who's watched the West for so many years, going back to when, when Seattle was even in the West, uh, there's always a point in the season where those teams are like midway or a little past midway of the season where those teams are all right there together. And then they start to separate at the end. Um, and I, I guess that's probably what's going to happen. I think Denver and, and the Raiders are going to start to fall off since everyone plays each other here at the end. They can't they can't all succeed. So I think it'll be Kansas City and, and the Chargers you know, at the end. Uh, so it won't look close in the end, but it will have been close all year. You know, Denver, after their quarterback, when he whiffed that uh, tackle in that game, I thought, Denver's done. They're not going to line up behind this guy anymore. And then they win two two games in a row right after that. You know, you just you can't expect that to happen. Um, and then oh, the Raiders, I thought maybe they would be rejuvenated with the stuff that went on with Gruden, that they'd be, they'd be on revenge missions. But they certainly looked bad uh, this weekend. Going to the prediction of the Super Bowl, who do you have coming out of the AFC who do you have coming out of the NFC? Who wins the game, and what's the final score? Ooh, well, as a football fan, I think what would be the most fun for football is the obvious one, and that would be New England facing uh, Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, we would all certainly watch that and have an opinion about that. It, that would be a game that you would hope both teams could lose, um, but it wouldn't be that way. But but if that were to happen. Um, I just would love to see uh, the Patriots beat Tom Brady. <laughs> and I shouldn't dislike Tom Brady as much as I do. It's one of those things everyone just hates anyone who's successful. Um, staying with Belichick. So I would say that the Patriots would beat uh, Tampa Bay 31 to 20 in the Super Bowl. Hmm. Yeah, I wish it was sort of like the, you know, even the World Cup doesn't even do uh, just a tie. You know, it's like, no, we'll just keep it going. Maybe the 1990s, early 1990s of college football tie. That's it. Everybody goes home. 21-21. Everybody leave. Nobody will win. It's been very interesting. I know a lot of conspiracy theorists believe that could be the uh, the game that all of a sudden things just start to align together. And those and those two teams are in the uh, Super Bowl. You know, who knows? There's plenty of time left. You know, a lot of teams have a lot of say in it. And. Who knows if Tampa plays the way they did against everybody else, they could be there. If they play the way they did against Washington, 
somebody else might be there. But you never know. It's it's the same thing with New England. Yeah, and in week five and six, if you'd asked me this question, I would have said the Chargers are going to be in the Super Bowl um, and they're going to beat the Bills in the AFC Championship and they're going to play the Packers. But, you know, the world has completely changed on that. I, I don't know that I trust the Packers anymore. I would love to see the Chargers play the Rams because the game's being played in SoFi Stadium. So both teams would have a home game uh, at the Super Bowl. How cool would that be? So that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, because we're never going to get Jets-Giants ever in a New York Super Bowl. <laughs> never. I'd put stake on a Beltway Super Bowl before that ever happens. Never say never. I would never have thought there'd be a Yankees-Mets World Series, but there was. <laughs> you know, and, then, and then like uh, the 49ers playing the Ravens, two brother coaches playing each other's Super Bowl. I mean, just all these weird things that happen. You know, Earl, as you know, anything can happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And even though most of that stuff feels more baseball-like, where right. the oddities occur, baseball is like the perfect summation of everyday life. Some days you have a normal day, and then you have something extremely weird that benefits you or something extremely weird that happens against you, and there's nothing you can really do. you just like, okay, there's always tomorrow. But yeah, Greg, as we start to wrap this up, wanted to know if I want to give anybody any shout-outs, anything you wanted to promote, what are ways people can reach out to you to talk about Chargers football? Uh, anyone can email me anytime. Uh, my email address is Greg Bassett, all one word, G-R-E-G-B-A-S-S-E-T-T, uh, at me.com, because it's all about me. Love to talk about Chargers. I had a, a Facebook page for Salisbury uh, Ocean City Charger fans, and there for a while uh, in the mid-80s or mid-2000s, the first, like 2006 through nine. Uh, we would get together and watch games together. There was like 11 or 12 people in the whole region <laughs> that were Charger fans. Uh, but we found that whenever we got together to watch a game, the Chargers played really bad. So we thought we were jinxing them. So we, we stopped going together to watch games. But there's still a few Charger fans uh, in the area. There's a Ocean City police officer whose brother works for the Chargers. And he pulls me over all the time on Coastal Highway when I'm down there just to talk about the Chargers. It's quite <laughs> scary to see a policeman pulling you over, but he just he just wants to talk about the Chargers. And, and my vehicle is very uh, recognizable because I have a license plate that says Chargers, and I have the Charger decals, and my truck is kind of powder blue. So I just – Earl, I just love the Chargers. <laughs> but anybody who wants to talk Chargers, love to talk Chargers, just love to have friends around. It was interesting uh, in, in Washington this year. We went to the Washington game. There were a lot of Charger fans, the most Charger fans I had ever seen uh, because I've never been to a game in either San Diego. I've been to the stadium in San Diego, but I wasn't there for a game. And I've never been to the one in Los Angeles. So I've never been to a real home Charger game. So to see Charger fans travel in D.C., that was great. Um, and then in Baltimore, there were there were more Charger fans than ever there this time this year. Uh, but we, we played so bad. We did win a playoff game there a couple years ago. That was very exciting to be part of that. The Miami Dolphins, who had a slow start uh, coming into the season, especially after a crushing end of last season, heading into this year, looking to turn things around. I know no longer it's fist magic. It was going to be all about Tua Tagovailoa, and I'm not even sure if I pronounced that right. And I know probably butchering it, but Tua, everybody knows about Tua. But a funny thing happened on the way to him being a starter. Jacoby Brissett took over. And they went on a little bit of a tailspin and a little bit of a tailspin is a bit of an understatement, but I know someone here who is 
diehard and ready to talk about Miami Dolphins football as they have slowly climbed back in the race in the AFC and a very crowded field. And here to talk about the Dolphins is longtime Dolphins fan Brandon Burns. Of course, you guys have seen him a lot on previous live streams. And of course, I'm glad to have you here to talk about everything, Brandon. Thanks for having me again, Earl. No problem. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk about the Dolphins and seeing really what they can do as they go into the the grind going for AFC playoff spot. Yeah, no, I'm excited to see uh, how they've uh, really turned around since they're one and seven. Uh, as you said, they kind of swan dive there, and uh, I never thought we'd actually be talking about the Dolphins and the actual playoffs here coming up. So going into this, normally I ask everybody this. How did you become a Dolphins fan? What drew you to them? Well, uh, I can tell you, Earl, I've been a Dolphins fan all my life. So uh, my dad's actually a Dolphins fan. I can credit him from, uh, you know, his time when uh, he was born in the late 60s. Uh, you know, when the Dolphins first started there in 66, that was kind of uh, his time to, uh, you know, really dive into the team. And then obviously, you know, when he was growing up, they had the undefeated season there in 72. Still the only team to ever do that from start to finish, including the, all the playoffs. And then, uh, you know, I think back-to-back Super Bowls uh, there with uh, Zonka and Kick, and then uh, that really got ingrained into me there. And then I have obviously had the Marino years, you know, coming out of the uh, late 80s into the early 90s. So I saw some, uh, you know, great football there uh, as I was growing up and uh, really just been on some hard times here in the last uh, about 20 years. Yeah, understandable. I know really ever since we could say the – either Joe Philbin era or Tony Sperano era. I mean, I even think about just really that tail end of the Dave Wanstead era after he succeeded Jimmy Johnson. It's been lean years ever Tr- since. Truthfully, I, I blame Nick Saban and Cam Cameron on, on the, the lean year starting and kind of never adjusted from there. Definitely, I can see that. Going into your history as a Dolphins fan, what is your most memorable Dolphins moment? Uh, I, I think for me, uh, the games that I remember really growing up, the Marino fake spike game versus the Jets uh, in you know, 94. So, you know, that would have been, you know, for me, nine, 10 years old, you know, kind of growing up in, in that regard. And then uh, obviously, you know, everybody remembers the uh, Dolphins versus the Cowboys there on Thanksgiving. You know, I remember being at my grandmother's and, uh, you know, seeing that game in the snow and, you know, Stoyakovich misses the kick, but, you know, Leon let, you know, kicks it halfway down the field and we get another shot to, uh, you know, win it there. So, you know, unfortunately I haven't, you know, ever saw the team ever really get over that hump. You know, we always kind of came up short, you know, in the the nineties there versus like the bills and, you know, Jim Kelly, you call it, always kind of ran into them. And then, uh, you know, as Marino kind of got into his later years, you know, we never, you know, got over that hump because we always kept running into those strong Jacksonville teams or the Elway teams. But, uh, you know, more recently it's been, uh, you know, really lean, but I think, you know, the last year has been really encouraging to see hopefully that they're building to something new. So expectations for the year i know as we mentioned the dolphins had a lot of fate in their hands and they weren't able to really solidify that and lock it down going into it new year under flores another uh, year what were the expectations no longer was there ryan fitzpatrick to be the quarterback tua had the path open to him what did you feel like they could do with a clean slate for tua I think with the amount of draft capital they absolutely had, I think going into this year, I I thought the sky was kind of the limit. I knew, uh, you know, Buffalo was going to be a challenge this year. And, you know, I think it was going to be those two teams really battling it out for the East. But, uh, you know, I think uh, really as close as they got to making the playoffs last year, I I was kind of hoping, you know, a wild card would definitely be in play for us this year. Um, And then really, you know, uh, you know, sneaking up and surprising some teams, because I think that uh, the formula that Flores had with the defense, 
and special teams and then really, you know, getting two out there. And, you know, that second year, I thought, you know, he was going to take that next progression step and, uh, you know, really be a contender here. So the crazy thing is 10 and six, any other conference, it'd probably have been great. But then you run into a, div- uh, a conference where the you have a 13 and three team, a 14 and two team. That's already two spots. Then a 12 and four team. And then you have four 11 and five teams fighting for that spot, and that left the Dolphins on the outside end. Had they had the seventh team as they have this year, they would have made the playoffs. Yep, and it's it's always that kind of one year too late type scenario, but I think they are progressing up, though. You know, as we've seen, uh, you know, last couple of weeks with that, you know, the team, it's, you know, I, I think realistically, if you look back at their schedule, even this year, you know, yeah, we had a rough patch there of, uh, you know, losing, uh, you know, seven out of eight, but I think, uh, you know, three of those games, you know, we're within a field goal of of realistically being an eight nine win team right now. So that game versus Jacksonville, Atlanta, and even the Raiders game early in the year really hurt us in, in the record perspective. Was there a point in the season that you were feeling optimistic about the Dolphins' playoff chances? Was it the Baltimore win? Was it anything else in particular? Oh, absolutely, the Baltimore win. That if you look back at especially. The two games against Buffalo this year, that team looked completely different, especially the defense. I mean, you know, we couldn't stop the run if our you know life depended on it, you know, as we looked at those couple games. And I think, you know, the defense, I don't know what Flores, you know, what magic he's putting in there. But the last, I would say, about four weeks, the defense is doing and that was kind of the model for success last year is the defense was putting the offense in great situations with a lot of turnovers, which that's what you're seeing the same last couple of weeks as well. Was there a particular moment where you thought these guys, they are all hype and they bought into it and they are not succeeding. Uh, I mean, I was scared when Buffalo ran, ran us out of the building in week two, but I think, you know, my low point was uh, really probably when we lost to Jacksonville in London. I think, you know, for me, that was kind of the low point to say, okay, if we can't beat Jacksonville, then we might be, you know, really looking to, you know, at that top 10 pick, which of course we had traded to Philly in order to trade back up to get Waddle. So, you know, for that, you know, we were kind of, you know, looking at that pick to say, you know, hey, that's kind of a waste of draft capital space. Looking at the rest of the schedule, it's going to get tougher when you look at the final few weeks. They have a bye week and then it's Dolphins Jets. That could be a win depending on how they come out out of the bye. But then you get the tougher parts. You get the Saints, then you have the Titans, and then you end in New England, which we always know with uh, there's always a Dolphins Patriots game where normally the Dolphins end up shocking the Patriots. And I know that has to be interesting when you look at that at the schedule. Yeah. As you said, the Jets game is definitely a winnable game. I think the Saints, I think they're Jekyll and Hyde right now, depending on what team shows up. Uh, you know, not having Kamara back and, uh, you know, really uh, with them losing a quarterback in Winston, you know, Hill and Simeon haven't really necessarily played to their capabilities. And I think it really comes down to those last two weeks for the Dolphins. I know Tannehill, uh, you know, seen enough of Tannehill in Miami to know both the good and the bad that comes with him. So hopefully, you know, they don't have Henry back by that time. But, uh, you know, if we have a Tannehill, you know, without, you know, his wide receivers, I think that's a very, very winnable game. And then, like you said, you know, when you get Miami and New England together, there's always something screwy that happens with those games. And, uh, you know, no matter who the quarterback is, and I think, you know, with that game, uh, you know, potentially being for a playoff spot for both, you know, you could see anything populate in that game. Looking at the playoffs, if the Dolphins were to make the postseason, who do you feel that Miami matches up the best with? 
I think just the familiarity behind him. I, obviously, New England, as we saw with Buffalo twice already this year, they've kind of ran us out of the building. So that would be the matchup I wouldn't want to, uh, you know, be around. And you know, obviously, we you know we've played Baltimore, we'll, we'll play Tennessee. So you know, I think having a game plan versus uh, the Ravens and potentially Tennessee here moving forward, you know, could be half decent matchups for us as well. And you mentioned that one of the teams that you wouldn't want to see in the playoffs, but as a Dolphins fan, is Buffalo the team that you guys don't want to see at all? I think, you know, they have our number right now. Just uh, looking back at the last couple of years, Allen's played really, really well against us, especially, you know, we can't really cover Diggs and or Beasley, uh, you know, in the last four matchups. So that'd be kind of, you know, the one that I would avoid. Um, and especially then, too, I think our secondary would match up great potentially against the Chiefs. But, you know, you never want to get in that situation where you're you're having to go against Mahomes and Kelsey and, and Hill as well. So looking at it, we talked about Tua as well. When Jacoby Brissett was brought in to to start several games, did you think this is another quarterback bust with Tua? Uh, I mean, injury history wise, I mean, it, it didn't seem like you could keep himself on the field, but I mean, you know, I, I think with Brissett, it was kind of that insurance policy, which, you know, really didn't pan out, you know, as much as we had with Fitzpatrick. But, you know, I think as they've progressed with Tua, uh, you know, you're starting to see flashes and starting to see glimpses of where, you know, he's really starting to hit on a lot of his passes and they're starting to really incorporate those things he was good at at Alabama. You're starting to see now in the offense. Now that the honeymoon's over and Flores, uh, after that, well, I wouldn't say a collapse last year. I mean, ten to six is good. Ten to six would have got you in any other year. Ten to six would probably get you in this year. But do you feel like there's any pressure on Flores as 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 head coach? And I know that, believe me, they've went through the dregs of coaches the past several years. Do you personally feel like the, the hot seat starts to warm up if they don't make the playoffs this year? I think if they would have completely bottomed out, absolutely. I think he earned himself another year to really see you know, what's going on with this team because I think when you look top to bottom with our team this year, the injury bug has gotten us, especially on the offensive side. You know, we signed uh, uh, you know Fuller, we have Gasecki, we have you know Parker. They all haven't been on the field together once. You know, so I think you know as you look at the potential of that offense, um, and you know I think and the line's really young as well. So I think as the defense has kind of been carrying us the last you know second half of the season. But I think that offense has that potential to really get there as well. Going to the Super Bowl prediction, who do you have coming out of the AFC? Who do you have coming out of the NFC? What's the final score and who wins? As much as I don't want to say it, I think we're going to get a rematch of last year. I think it's going to be Chiefs, and I think it's going to be Tampa Bay and arch nemesis Tom Brady. Uh, Score-wise, I, I think, unfortunately, I, I think Tommy might get another one, 24-21, because I, I don't think that the uh, Chiefs line can can stand up. You know, I think if, uh, you know, if we're looking at the matchups that I'd want to see, you know, obviously I don't want to see Tampa get into it again. So I'd like to see maybe a first-time team, you know, whether it be the Bengals or the Chargers, you know, go in and win one, and, and maybe the Rams, you know, I, I think an all-L.A. Bowl being in L.A. this year would be pretty cool because I think Herbert and Stafford could definitely sling it around, and that'd be a fun Super Bowl to watch. It always seems like Tom Brady wins with a field goal most of the mm-hmm. times. <laughs> As we start to wrap this up, do you have any shout-outs you want to give to anyone, and what are ways people can reach out to you on social media to talk Dolphins football? Social media-wise, I'm on uh, Twitter, uh, at SRURocky50. Uh, so I can be found right on uh, Twitter as well. And then, uh, you know, Instagram, I'm also same handle. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, also in Facebook, uh, you know, find me by my uh, first and last name. 
And then from that perspective, you know, shout outs to, uh, you know, the entire crew that follow baseball. I know uh, they're on the Eastern Shore, uh, you know, a couple of the uh, folks. Big shout out to uh, all the fantasy football crews of all the leagues that I'm playing in as well as we approach this uh, last week as we're going into the playoffs. So, uh, you know, for a couple of leagues still in the playoff hunt for the other ones, uh, wish everybody well. The AFC was probably at its most competitive this season, with many of the teams having a chance at the postseason in the final three weeks. Even with the expanded playoff field, there was going to be a lot more teams who would be within arm's reach of a playoff spot. Next time, we look at the teams that missed the postseason cut in the NFC, the Washington football team, the New Orleans Saints, and the Minnesota Vikings. As always, all episodes of The Sports Refuge can be found wherever podcasts are heard, including Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and the Sports Refuge website. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of these apps and leave a mention, which we'll read on a future episode. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.